choir. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and I just pray this morning that everything that is shared and said be of you, be for your glory. May your spirit be among us and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, the Good Samaritan, uh, hopefully most of y'all have heard that story before. Have you? Yes. It's one that's familiar to us. Um, it's even familiar in secular culture. Our culture understands the Good Samaritan. We often call somebody who does something nice for somebody or somebody who goes out of their way for a broken, hurting, needy person it is a Good Samaritan. Now, we understand what that story is talking about. And that is key. That is part of the point. But sometimes I think we become so familiar with this story, with this parable that Jesus is telling that we miss some of the significance. I've heard it, heard it, heard it preached, and, and I've preached it, and it's not, you know, that it just, God wants us, it's another way of saying, love other people who are in need. And that is central to Luke's gospel. It's just, that's what you need to do. I've also heard it preached almost like this is everything Jesus taught on eternal life and the kingdom, and how you get it is just care for people in need. And that's not what Jesus is doing either. So I want us to think about the significance of what he's saying and what the point is behind this parable. So the first thing you'll learn from, I've said it before, I'll say it again, is context. Context is key when it comes to getting scripture and understanding what it's talking about. So we read that this lawyer, and first it's a lawyer who is, and y'all have heard this before, not an attorney, as in today's definition of attorney. It is a person who is an expert in the Old Testament law. He is an expert in the law. Almost a scribe would be in that same category. But he knows the Old Testament law and is an expert in it. That is what that means. So this expert in the Old Testament law stands up and asks Jesus this question. And it says he wants to test him. Now, we'll pause right there to say, why? What prompts this lawyer to stand up, this expert in the law, to ask this question? That's what you need to do is ask the question, why, why does he do it? Well, the thing is, Jesus, right here in this chapter, right here, has just sent the 70 out, if y'all have ever heard that or read that it's right here where it happens in Luke's gospel sends the 70 out two by two to do ministry in his name he tells them kind of how to go they have come back and they report back all the amazing things that happen they're excited and this is key because they went and did what Jesus said do sounds a little like the children's sermon like Simon they went and did what Jesus said do, and God showed up. And they come back all excited that, wow, we had authority. Miracles happened. And then Jesus says this little prayer. He says, Father, thank you for revealing this to children. And it is hidden from the educated, those who have wisdom and understanding. And then he looks just kind of to the disciples, and he says to them, Blessed are you for seeing this. 
Then the lawyer, who's the expert in the law, stands up and got a question. Because he's just sent out 70 folks to do ministry, and God has showed up. And this lawyer's thinking, hey, some of these people are even illiterate. They can't even read. I got the degrees. I'm the expert in the law. Maybe this guy's theology is a little off. Maybe miracles happen. Maybe people are dancing around, falling out in the spirit or something. But he may not have his story right. He may not have his theology down. So i got to test him and see if he's on track. So to test Jesus, he asked, how do you get eternal life? Some of say, how do you get into the kingdom? How do you become part of what God is saying? And Jesus, as he so often does, turns around with a question. He says, well, you're the expert. You've read it. What do you think it says? And he gives a very good answer. This isn't a new answer. This, every rabbi would have said, yeah, that's the that's, And he gives the first is what? What is it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's part of the Shema. They were supposed to pray this multiple times a day. God is one. There's only one God. And you are to love that God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You don't play around with other gods. You don't have other. That was what they knew. I mean, realize what's being said. There is but one God that created everything, and you are to love God with everything you feel, with everything you think, with everything you are, and everything you do. And everybody would have thought, you know, they got the answer right. And then he gives the second, which comes from Leviticus. Kind of, I love to teach Leviticus. We don't have time to, but kind of summing up Leviticus is, how do you love, you love your neighbor as yourself? Now, in Luke's gospel up to this point, he's already stressed that the gospel is about putting the needs of others either equal to or even in Luke's, it's above your own needs. So he says, love your neighbor with everything. I mean, love God with everything and then love your neighbor as yourself. And that is how the rabbis would come to sum it up. That is, he got it. And Jesus says, great, do that and you'll live. Just go do that. What? Wait a minute, what? So then to justify himself. And we think, oh, what a terrible guy trying to justify himself. Do you realize what he just said out of his own mouth? If I asked you what is the most important commandment according to Jesus, you would answer the one he gave, right? Love God. With everything you think, with everything you feel, with everything you are, and everything you do. And your neighbor is yourself. Let's go do that. Do you do that? Not rhetorical. Do you do that? How well do you do that? Well, he probably didn't either. To justify himself, wait a minute. He asked, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked a question. We sometimes villainize this lawyer guy, but we would justify ourselves too. And he asked a question, who's my neighbor? 
Because see, rabbis had been debating this for 100 years. Who's a neighbor? We know we're supposed to love. It says in Leviticus, love your neighbor. Now, who counts as your neighbor? They had a whole group of rabbis that thought, well, if it's two miles from your house, that's a neighbor. Some really, really extremists. Five miles. Oh, that wasn't miles. It was equivalent to miles. You know, depending, trying to figure out who was your neighbor and who wasn't your neighbor. I'm just going to pause for a minute. We, we want to say, oh, that guy trying to justify himself. We know who. And every Christian would answer that first question the same way. Love God with everything you got. That is, Methodists, Episcopals, Catholics, Baptists, Pentecostals, we all know that. Right? We start debating when it's how do you do it? And who do you do it for and to? And we'll justify and we'll say, and but I wait, wait, but I. And so Jesus, when he hears him wanting to justify himself, tells him this story. There's a man walking from Jerusalem to Jericho on the road. Now, one of the overarching principles that I'm not going to go down that road too far, but it is an overarching idea that you need to remember and that matters in Luke's gospel. Every one of the books of the Bible, especially the New Testament, and especially the Gospels, were written to be read aloud orally from beginning to end in one sitting. So what happens in them matters. This guy is walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. Guess who's just about to walk from Jerusalem, well, it's from Jericho to Jerusalem on that same road. Anybody got any ideas? Jesus. He's about to take that road. Two weeks ago, we talked about it in the sermon. It's on that road in Jericho is where he heals blind Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus and some other stuff along the way. That the overarching idea is Jesus is about to walk down that road and every one of us is in the ditch and needs to be healed. You can't dodge that piece of the story. Okay? Now, we'll go back to the context with this lawyer, and he tells him, man walking from Jerusalem to Jericho, beat up by robbers, left half dead, and a priest does what? Walks by, doesn't even notice it, walks by on the other side, doesn't get anywhere close. Now, everybody would have thought, yeah, those priests, that's exactly right, those priests, you got to be careful of those priests. He's probably on his way to Jerusalem. But if you add more to, you know, maybe he's going to do service in the temple. Maybe his lot has been chosen that he gets to serve in the temple. And, and if he touched a dead guy, if that guy happened to be dead, he couldn't do it. And that is how he, he got a portion of the sacrifice to, to bring. That's how he fed his family. He's going to do his religious duty and he just... And then a Levite who assists there walks by and doesn't even notice. And then usually in most of the parables, there's a twist. There's that. And y'all know the twist in this one. You've heard it before. It's when he says, a Samaritan. 
Now, I don't have time this morning to tell you where the Samaritans came from and you know, during the exile and they, were, they worshipped on another mountain and they didn't worship in Jerusalem and they were just, they just tension high. But when he says a Samaritan, and then he describes what happened, it just, that is the shocker. It would be the equivalent of us saying today in the United States, maybe, maybe that, hey, there's a guy sick in a ditch, and, you know, the Baptist preacher walks by, and the Methodist preacher walks by, or whoever walks by, and then a member of ISIS. And exactly what are we thinking? He's about to cut that guy's head off. Right? A member of ISIS stops and actually sees, that says it in the text, actually sees him. How many times do we walk by and not actually see the other person? who they are, and what, he actually sees them. Then he, he nurses his wounds, and then this is key, he puts them on his own animal. He's illustrating what Jesus has already taught up to this point and said and illustrated, and John the Baptist even teaches in Luke's gospel. Putting the needs of the other person above his own. It's his, it's his animal. He was riding on his animal. It's the member of ISIS gets out and then gives the guy his car and takes him to the inn and pays for it and says, you keep ministering to him and then I'll pay whatever is needed when I come back. And he asks this lawyer, this expert in the law, now who was neighborly? The man can't even say the word. He doesn't even want to say the Samaritan. He just says, the one who showed mercy. And he's done. Now, there's a lot going on in this text. And there's a lot about how we care for other people and seeing other people. But I'm going to tell you what I think the main idea. We may preach this one again. There's a lot of ways you can go. But this is what's laid on my heart this morning. The main idea that's haunted me this week. You ready for it? Do you want it? I'm not sure I really want it. I'm going to tell you. I don't know that I really want it. It kind of steps on my toes. When the guy tests Jesus, and then to justify himself, well, how do you, how, who is my neighbor to make sure where Jesus stands on that, but to justify his, his own actions? God does not operate in minimums. What are the minimum requirements for the kingdom? 
Who do I minimally have to look to as a neighbor? Have I checked the boxes? Have I done the minimum thing? God never deals in minimums. From the beginning of the end of Scripture and throughout history, it doesn't deal with minimums. You know, you know what? We're minimums. We like minimums in religion. Religious folk. What are the religions? That's where religion, and it's good stuff. Religion's always pointing to God, but then we want to check off our boxes. Now, how many weeks do I have to actually come to worship to be considered a regular member? Is my name on the roll? I've been baptized. Was I baptized the right way, the wrong way? Ask different groups. We will argue about that. What are the minimum requirements? What are the people, we, what are the things we have to do? What are the expectations? Minimum stuff. If you, you, this is the stuff. If you do this, you're in our group. God doesn't deal with minimums. There ain't but one God. You love him with everything you got. Everything you think. Everything you feel. Everything you do. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Put the needs of others above your own. If everybody did that, everybody's needs get met. Thus the kingdom. But when we start jockeying for position and try to figure out what the minimums are and are we in the right group or what group, my base is covered. My name's on the roll and I go, but I'm still a cheat in my business. Or I still tweak on my taxes. Or I do this or I do that. Or I will go serve and care this person, but this person I can't stand. And these people I don't like. Which leads us back to the overarching big picture. We're all in the ditch. There's something that we all want to justify about ourselves. And God does not deal in minimums. Jesus, he doesn't even say, here's the minimum, the requirement and force anybody. He never forces anything on anybody. He invites. And he invites you to learn more about him. And to invite you the rest of your life to hunger and thirst for Him? What should this expert in the law have asked? Jesus tells him by the end. He never leaves you hanging either. Which one was, which one was actually the neighbor? What we should be asking and yearning if our heart is right is not, who is the minimum requirement that I've got to look at as neighbor? But we should get honest at the altar and say, Lord, I'm terrible at this. There are people I don't want to like. There are things in my life that I don't want to let go of. I really want just minimum requirements, and you won't let me get away with it. But Lord, will you teach me how to be a neighbor? 
And he will never hold back on that. It won't be always comfortable. He will invite you to go places you don't want to go and care for people you didn't want to care for. And sometimes we refuse to go. And when he points it out in our life, then we get the gospel gift of repentance because Jesus died for the things that are broken about us. And his spirit still wants to continue. It's sanctification. It's the process of growth. It's not that the lawyer, this expert in the law is a bad guy. But it's Lord. I've been in the ditch. You're the only one that can save us. And we don't get it right. And we will deal with minimums and we will fight and we will argue about it. But Lord, will you teach us how to follow you? And when we get it wrong, will you give us the courage to repent? And will you forgive us? Will you ne- and he will never give up on us. That is what Jesus died for. The gift. I mean, it, the Methodist Church, that's what we say. Our, it, it, but it's the Great Commission. Make disciples the transformation of the world. You can't transform the world unless you are being transformed by the Holy Spirit. And that is Jesus' Spirit. I don't know about you, but I really sometimes wish God dealt in minimums. And I could just remind God of good things I've done in the past. (laughs) Don't I get a pass on this one? And then he usually says, Chuck, come on. It's not about you. It's about me and what I want to do in you. Let's move forward. Let's be transforming. I think that's the heart of this parable. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we praise you and thank you. Because we cannot miss the fact of the story that when you walked down the road, you cared, you loved blind Bartimaeus, the rich cheat Zacchaeus, no matter how far off course we can be. Ultimately, you are the one that heals our wounds, that loves us in our brokenness, that as the psalmist writes, gets us out of the muck and the mire, the ditch. But Lord, when we start giving excuses and justifying, may you remind us that it is all about you. And you just invite us to take a next step every day. And when we get off and when you point out the brokenness in our lives, may we repent and be transformed. Thank you. In the midst of our arguing and justifying that you never give up on us and you are still the one God that pours out your spirit. May you do so this day and in all that we do. 
May it give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As always, you are invited to join with this congregation in any way that you choose to. Reaffirmation of faith, if God is just working in your life, or first time or first time commitment, you're invited to uh, come forward or to just let me know. You're always uh, welcome and invited to join with us in any way that we take in members or just want to celebrate what God may be doing. Or as I've often said, well, not often, it's only been two weeks. So <laughs> feel free to come to this altar and just pray at any time. It is always open. But let's stand together and sing our closing hymn Number 402, Lord, I want to be a Christian. May you go forth from this place knowing that the one who loves you more than you can imagine goes with you, before you, 
redeems, restores you. Never gives up on you. And always wants to transform you. May you go in peace and the love and the presence of God go with you in all you do. Amen.